it really changed the trajectory of my career in a lot of ways because I really looked around the room and I thought to myself, wow, what if we actually got all of these people into elected office? You know, it was Latinos, it was Middle Eastern and Arab, it was Asian American, it was Black immigrants, it was folks from all walks of life. And I thought, what a difference it would have been in my upbringing and the policies that affected my life alone if these people were in office. And so I became very familiar with the organization through my own experience as a participant. And I think the reason so many of us are drawn to it once we're in it is because of how authentic it is and how real it is and its approach to doing this work. Everything that we do at New American Leaders is by New American Leaders for New American Leaders. It's people who have lived those experiences. Our experiences may not be carbon copies of one another. They're very different in ways, but the values that drive them are, are quite similar. And so we find a home in each other when we do that. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies, with in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications. GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Gita Dagger. She's the president and CEO of New American Leaders, the only national nonprofit organization empowering immigrants, refugees, and their allies with the tools they need to realize their potential and create a more inclusive democracy by running for and holding elected office, as well as engaging in civic action that brings their voices to the forefront of American politics. Gita came to the United States at nine years old with her family seeking asylum from Lebanon and Sierra Leone. Her career and leadership are shaped by her multicultural background and her real-world understanding of struggle and opportunity. Gita is a true believer that her immigrant background grounds her and her American experience propels her. She's deeply committed to the engagement and empowerment of all communities, particularly those underrepresented in our democracy. Having led multiple political campaigns, launched policy initiatives, and served in Michigan Governor Whitmer's executive office as the director of appointments, Gita's dedicated her career to creating opportunity for and building leadership in BIPOC and new American communities. Gita's leadership and work have been recognized by Crane's Detroit Business, Arab American News, and others. Most recently, she was honored, a huge honor, by the Carnegie Corporation of New York as a great immigrant, great American. Gita, welcome to Chief Influencer. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you. Well, we're really excited to have you. Congratulations on the recognition that you got. I want to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But to start, I just want to ask, you know, obviously representation matters a lot to you. And I wondered if you could talk about why that um, is important and how that drives you as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. It is so big for me personally, professionally, and every part of my life. 
like I'm an immigrant myself. I'm a refugee. I came here at the age of nine years old with my family. We were seeking uh, asylum from a very brutal civil war in Sierra Leone. But I come from a long line of immigrants. You know, I'm 100% Lebanese, but I'm third generation Sierra Leonean. I'm a first generation American. And so uh, if you just follow and know a little bit of geography, you know, those places are different, very different parts of the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a long line of immigrants from one spot to another. And they all left one area from Lebanon to go to West Africa for economic reasons, for political reasons. And then again, from Sierra Leone to here. And, um, you know, to me, that has been such a big part of who I am as a person, this multiculturalism, this experience that grounds me grinds grinds me in in such a strong way it shapes so much of my values as a person i often say as like immigrants and new americans we don't know what we don't know and so there's so many resources and opportunities and dreams and aspirations that get left behind or get left on the table and so when you get the, that sense of representation whether it's in politics or in the arts or uh in any part of society you get to see yourself in it. You get to dream about it. You get to dream bigger. You get to see bigger. You get to aspire in so many more ways. And so uh, representation is a really big deal. And that's carried well into my career as well, clearly. Uh, you know, I, I actually wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid. And uh, everybody around me knew that wasn't the right call for me. It was really this the civic and social leadership of the work that we do. And so New American Leaders is a phenomenal organization that I'm so lucky to be leading and working with a phenomenal team. And New American Leaders is the only national organization that's dedicated to training immigrants and first and second generation Americans to run for office, uh, to lead campaigns, pursue appointments, and really step into that civic leadership and public service. And so uh, representation right there is at the core of it. You know, a lot of leaders might be um, nodding along that, yes, representation matters, they value inclusion. And then at the same time, they may struggle to create that um, mm -hmm. representation around. They may look at their organization and see, we don't have that yet, mm -hmm. and we want to get there. And so I wonder if you could just share maybe a little bit more about the story of how you went from being a participant in the program that New American Leaders has to leading it, and any advice that you might have for leaders that, you know, Philosophically, they're with you, but they haven't realized this within their organization or their community yet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I know the organization initially because I was a participant of the program. Long before I was a, a staff member, I was just a, a, an organizer and a policy person in the world doing uh, uh, work around public health, public education, economic mobility issues. And a, a state representative in Michigan tapped me on the shoulder to say, hey, you should do this really great program. I said, hey, I have no interest in running for office. I care about the issues. I don't care about the ego of politics is what I would tell that person. And, uh, and, and instead, I did the training and very quickly found sort of my political, political home. I walked into the room. It was the most diverse room I'd ever been in. And uh, it really sort of change the trajectory of my career in a lot of ways because I really looked around the room and I thought to myself, wow, what if we actually got all of these people into elected office? You know, it was Latinos, it was Middle Eastern and Arab, it was Asian American, it was Black immigrants, it was folks from all walks of life. And I thought, what a difference it would have been in my upbringing and the policies that affected my life alone if these people were in office. Uh, and so I became very familiar through the, with the organization through my own experience as a participant and I think the reason so many of us are drawn to it once we're in it 
uh, is because of how authentic it is and how real it is and its approach to doing this work. Everything that we do at New American Leaders is by New American Leaders for New American Leaders, people who have lived those experiences. Our experiences may not be carbon copies of one another. They, they're very different in ways, but the values that drive them are, are quite similar. And so we find a home in each other when we do that. So my advice to leaders who are looking at this work and looking at inclusion is to do it authentically and to do it in a way that is real, that resonates and frankly is often raw and often um, there are challenges that come with that, but it's okay to tackle those challenges and as long as you're doing it in a way that's real. I, you know, one of the things that I think the biggest challenge around this work is that people often are looking for inclusion or DEI as a checkbox on their list of things to accomplish rather as something to build around. And I think those are two very distinct things. It's one thing to get something done. Uh, and it's another thing about how you get it done. And I think when it comes to inclusion in particular and representation, the how is almost more important. Say more about the how, because I think that that's yeah. a really good, you know, um, point and folks might be thinking about how can we do this better? Yeah. So for us, you know, you could go out there in the world and say, hey, I want to have a staff member or any organization, any company could say, I want to have a staff that is diverse, right? Or like that has different walks of life, that has women, that has black folks, that has Latinos, that has Asian Americans, has all these, that has LGBTQ folks, like all of these different walks of life. But you're not, if you're not showing up in those spaces, if you're not really bringing real partnerships, if you're not creating policies or removing barriers to entry, or if you're not creating safe spaces in particular within those entities, then you're not going to build. The how looks very different than just saying, hey, now we have a council, um, here is their mission, and here are the folks that sit around it. And if that table of people that sit around it don't look like the people that you're trying to engage, then you're doing something wrong. So the how, the authentic piece, the embracing of our, uh, our stories, our narratives, and, and being okay and comfortable with the uncomfortable. And uh, I think one of the things that people don't keep in mind is that when you are creating some of this, it means change. It means changing the status quo. And so there are sometimes, as a with any change, there are um, ramifications or there are consequences, positive, negative, that you don't expect. And you have to be okay with that. That's part of the how for me as well. How do you deal and handle and take on those challenges that come out of that? Yeah, when I think about the work that you're doing with New American Leaders, um, and the change that you're trying to, you know, foster and, and create. You have folks who are the new Americans. And for them, you know, they may feel like I don't belong in this role. Nobody's told me that I could ever be a representative or they may not be familiar with that. And then on the other end, you might have folks who have been in the political system for a long time and they may not love the idea of change of um, folks coming in who, you know, because there's, there's already power brokers and there's already, already uh, yeah. people who have entrenched power. So so you have to influence a lot of different people to be comfortable with this change, right? And there are different types of stakeholders. So I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more and particularly yeah. what strategies or tactics you have found um, are effective in your work to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of different groups that we engage around this, right? This is everything from uh, the institutions that exist that are supposed to house all of us and are supposed to bring us all into this, this, this uh, tent and umbrella of power. 
there's institutions themselves, there's groups of people, folks like the people that we are actually trying to recruit and engage to see themselves as leaders. There's also donors who we want to see invested in this work and supporting and giving it the resources. And so there are a lot of different dynamics. There's even like the dynamics within different ethnic communities that exist around this work and the cultural uh, perspectives on politics. For many, uh, politics aren't seen as uh, uh, as a great thing or a good tool for folks who have escaped uh, persecution or have left uh, countries that um, don't, maybe don't have haven't left the best taste in their mouth around politics. We have to also address some of those challenges. But I would say for me, the most important audience that we work is the participants. It's our immigrant communities that we are bringing into the room, uh, and really. The most important thing I think that we do in our organization is to encourage them and teach them how to embrace their experiences, their lived experiences as immigrants, and not to shy away from it. I think if you look at traditional politics, folks have always looked a certain way, you know, for a very long time. Uh, they, you know, there's like, there's the, the suits, the big hair, the maybe the pearls, the, you know, the buttoned up, the polished, or they come from maybe uh political dynasty or industry titans, you know, things like that. That's what we have seen for a very long time of what American politics are. And that's how, you know, it's also portrayed in media and in Hollywood and all of these different elements. And what we work so hard to do is to break that image and to say, you know, American politicians, American elected officials, American public service for service folks look like me and you and everybody else that walks the streets of our country and that we need more of that, whether it be people of color, whether it be immigrants, whether it be working families, different uh, uh, industries, you know, the objective is to break that polished look, break that uh, status quo uh, and, and, and really usher a different uh, sort of image and a, a different reality of uh, governance in this country. You know, I know we're both fans of the brand Kids of Immigrants and Daniel Buezo, uh is one of our chief influencers that we interviewed. And what you were saying kind of reminds me a little bit about uh, what he shared, which is, you know, Kids of Immigrants wanted to create a fashion brand that was accessible to everyone, you know, because he grew up loving, you know, Nautica, but not ever having been on a yacht and loving polo, but not having ever been on a horse. And he wanted to create something that might connect with people um, in a different way, despite his love for those brands. And so I'd love for you to dive in a little bit more to that authenticity and sort of yeah. how you uh, provide training, you know, that again, that you've been through yourself and now you oversee this, all of this training as the leader of the organization um, for new Americans about, you know, not feeling like they have to conform to what maybe is in the past or we've seen on TV, but um, to show up as their authentic selves, because that's what people want, they want to see themselves in representatives. Yeah, a huge fan of what Kids of Immigrants does and what they represent. I have owned multiple of their pieces uh, and uh, really like it's resonated with me on so many levels as an immigrant myself and with our community. And, uh, you know, I like to think that we are doing the political version of that, you know, like we are, uh, uh, we're creating that home for folks um, to see themselves in and to feel very comfortable in. And I watched that interview and he references things like the cookouts and the family gatherings. And we also feel the same way that when we are doing new American uh, events, new American leaders events, these are, we want to create that home and safe environment for everyone. Uh, but we also want to push people. We want to push them to see themselves in the best light. Uh, we want folks to challenge themselves. And 
uh, a really a big part of that uh, in the training, again, is some of the, the narrative piece that we do in getting them to shift how they talk about themselves, how they see themselves. We tend to sometimes think about uh, coming to this work from a place of scarcity. And for me, it's really big that we think about ourselves as coming from a place of abundance. And what I mean by that is the abundance of our experiences as new Americans, the abundance of the lessons that we can uh, we can share with one another, the, the cultural practices, the, uh, the enrichment that we really add to each other's lives, whether again, it's the culture and the arts and the music and the food, uh, and whether it's also the problem solving, the societal models, things like that. Uh, and uh, so we spent a lot of time talking about that. When I was a participant, uh, one of the most challenging modules or experiences that I had at our training uh, is what we call our stump speech exercise. And that is building a speech that's 60 to 90 seconds that tells me about who you are, what your values are, and what you believe in. And uh, despite my resume of the work that I was doing in, 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 um, in building a more inclusive space for everyone, I struggled so much because we weren't taught to talk about, our, about ourselves. We were taught to talk about the issue. We were taught to talk about whatever's out in the world and never make it about us. Well, of course, there's a certain extent of that uh, that we need to keep in mind, but it is important to be able to tell our stories in the process that people, so that people connect with us, so that people know where we come from, people know the shared values that we have. You know, values are something that we talk about all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing that I'll say is that values are really neutral in themselves, but how we apply those values is what really distinguishes us. And so... Uh, uh, it's really about embracing their story, embracing how they talk about themselves and embracing their experiences and not shying away from it. Mm. That's such a good lesson for all leaders, isn't it? Like one, we all know the power of storytelling, right? We we can be reminded of it though, but how you find those authentic stories um, to tell and to relate back so that people make that connection with you because yeah. that's part of the power of influence, right? Is, is yeah. you know, being able to make the connection with people and storytelling yeah. really help us do that. We just had a training in Midwest, our Midwest regional training this past weekend. We were in Chicago. It was a, a group of 40 different participants. One of the most diverse groups we've ever had. You have folks who come from Africa. You have folks who come from the Middle East, folks who come from uh, South America. Uh, we had folks from all walks of life, you know, in and these are, I'm talking continents, and within each continent, there's a ton of different cultures and societies, and uh, they come from very different walks of life. Folks, some folks grew up in refugee camps, some folks are third generation American, uh, but it's incredible to see how they bond, despite, you know, the how, how long they've been in this country, or how new they are to this country, or where they grew up, whether they grew up in a tent in a refugee camp, or whether they grew up in a suburb in the Midwest. There's so much that they connect about, and that's because of the values that ground, like ground, like grounds all of them. It's the values that are tying them together, and also in their belief of what we can be. And I think that's really important. And if we're not, if they didn't get the opportunity to talk about some of these things, then they might just walk past each other down the street and not realize how much ties them together. So for us, it's creating that space so that they can see and hear one another, and they can understand. Um, what role they can play. And, you know, they walk away, most of them come in interested, but not with the intent to actually run for office. And a good majority walks out with a commitment to run in the next two years. So it's really incredible and powerful to see what that space and to have that community of support uh, really around them and embrace them and 
to see the transformation that happens in a weekend. Wow, that's really, that's pretty cool that uh, that shift happens so quickly. Yeah. See what's possible. I know that, um, you know, getting the right people in the room to provide that type of training, you know, how do you get people to raise their hands and, 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 and become part of, that's something, and I know you learned a lot of lessons about that when you worked for Governor Whitmer. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if you could talk a bit about the role that you had um, and some of the changes that that you all made, because I can see how those have impacted the work you do today. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a privilege and an honor to work with the governor. Uh, she is so phenomenal um, and really has been transformative for the state of Michigan. And um, in my role in her administration, I was a director of appointments. So I saw the appointments process of people to boards, commission, uh, judicial uh, uh, vacancies. Uh, and there was over 350 boards in the state of Michigan alone, and they are constantly rotating. And so we're always, the state's always looking for really talented people. And it had been my experience before joining the administration that these positions uh, were really hard to find, that they weren't easily accessible, that not everybody has a fair shot at them. And the governor felt very strongly, obviously, as, 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 uh, in, in believed in me to help steward that process and to find people from different walks of life. And in the almost three years that we, I was there, you know, the gover governor made 2,100 appointments of people from all backgrounds. So it, when I say literally changing the face of government in the state of Michigan, she has been such a champion and has prioritized that. And a big part of finding the folks was going to folks, which you know, is like this novel idea of going to meet people where they're at is genuinely what we did here, you know, and when you're talking about a government entity, a statewide government entity for most folks, that's very intimidating. They're not going to know who to reach. It's it's a wonky, maybe the, you know, it's complicated. So especially thinking about that from a perspective of an immigrant uh, who already has so much on their plate in terms of navigating systems. Um, it was really important to me that we got into immigrant communities, that we uh, engaged people, that we educated them on them, that we uh, made the process less scary and also reduced some of the barriers to actually serving. One example is, you know, uh, people are vetted for all of these positions. It's a government position. So every position that people get pointed to, there's a vetting process. And uh, I would say that historically, as we all know, people of color are vetted uh, with a uh, not maybe an equitable lens or thinking about the circumstances that got them there. One example, for example, it, it, one example is like credit score or credit history, right? As thinking that most people or traditional structures might look to credit history as a signifier of financial responsibility and understanding. And, but we really put that in the experience of a new American or a person of color in the United States. There's generational things that have led to these credit issues or there are circumstances that you can't really see when looking at a piece of paper or credit score or credit report. So having uh, getting rid of something like that really opened up the opportunities for other people to step in and bring that a much needed perspective to decision making tables, whether they're financial or educational or whatever topic that particular commission or boards were serving on. It literally changed the makeup of the boards uh, and who was able to contribute the real life experiences of people to uh, governance in Michigan. You know, Gita, there's just some real wisdom in those examples that you're sharing, because I think, uh, you know, whether somebody runs a big membership association or they're a leader in a corporation, you know, they're always trying to find out how to connect with people and bring them along for opportunities, right? 
And how often do we hear, you know, even inside of a company, it's sort of like somebody says, well, I didn't even know my company offered that benefit. And it's like, well, we emailed mm-hmm. it five times. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, wait a minute, the same channel, the same message yeah. to the same people in the same way. Of course, it's not going, going to reach everyone if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And so you shared two really important things that stuck with me. One is, where can you reduce friction, right? Where can you make things a little bit easier where they, and 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 the credit history, I would have never thought of that, but now I think, yeah, if somebody's a new American, I mean, you know, there are many reasons why um, they may not have the same credit history as somebody whose, you know, parents and grandparents were also um, have, have lived in this country. And so, so that's one thing, where can we reduce that friction? And then the second is not just expecting everybody to raise their hand and come to you, but sometimes you have to go out to people, oh, yeah. you know, you can send the same email out to the same people and hope that they're going to read it and click the form. And, you know, there's so many reasons why that may not happen. So finding ways to go out to communities yeah. and you can't do it all yourself though, going out to communities, you obviously have to tap into other people who might have influence and have connections. And I wonder if you could share maybe a little bit about that, because I know that's something that you obviously had to do when you were director of appointments for the governor, but also it's a part of what you do um, in your current role. And and frankly, it sounds like it's how you got recruited to go through Mm -hmm. the program many years ago before you became the leader. Yeah. And that's actually exactly how I got also recruited to work with the governor. And so I've seen that play out multiple times in my career uh, and in my own development as a professional and as a leader. Uh, and I, I, that's exactly right. You do have to meet people where they're at and you have to create somebody's uh, 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 reduce that friction that we just mentioned in different ways that it exists. And I think one of the biggest ways that you do that is by modeling the work and modeling the examples. And um, we do that a lot with new American leaders. You know, we bring so many examples forward of people who have done this work and were successful, people who ran and have won and are leading. We also are very real though about it. And we also bring forward people who weren't successful along the way. And we talk about the challenges that they face and what, what are, why they weren't able to cross the finish line, the number of votes that they needed, or maybe what it felt like to be the only appointee of a certain background uh, in, in serving in a position. We bring and have a very honest conversation about these things. And I think the key to those successes in, is, is, for me, all about the people that you surround yourself with and the people that you continue to lift up. Uh, I'm a very proud Wolverine. I went to the University of Michigan. I think it's greatest university. Uh, And there is a a, a football coach who is very well known. His name is Beauchamp Beckler. And Beauchamp Beckler always talked about the team, the team, the team as the most single, most important thing. And I truly believe that it's who you surround yourself with. and, And whether it be the partnerships who help with recruitment whether it is the people who push you to think differently or uh, hold you accountable. Uh, It's the people that you build with. It's the people that you share losses with and how you react to those that make a really big difference. And, you know, for me in all the different positions that I've held, the team has been a really big part of that. I would never ask a team member to do something that I'm not willing to do uh, or put them in a position that I'm not willing to be in as well. Uh, and that also extends to the new American leaders. You know, we were, uh, for example, we're a woman bud, obviously, organization. Uh, we've made significant strides in diversity and inclusion in American politics. But at the same time, the majority of our staff is also new American. They're first or second generation. They're majority women. They're majority BIPOC. And I think when we model that for other organizations, when we model that for our participants, when we model that for politics, it makes a significant impression 
on how we show up in the world. Um, and so I, I think the core, so back to your question, is the people, the people who you surround yourself in, who you choose to engage. And a lot of that, you need to do some, I think, deep internal reflection, a mapping of who's with you and who you need to also actively engage to bring forward with along with you on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to ask, um, in today's world, we really can't separate our personal and our professional brands entirely, right? There's a lot of overlap. Obviously, in, in politics and in public service, this is true, um, more true probably than, you know, even in business yeah. and other places. And so I wonder if you could share a little bit about your perspectives on that, how um, how you've managed that, you know, in this digital world, but also I know you probably have some visibility into other leaders through um, your organization who are managing that sort of that gray area where yeah. the personal and the professional overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for me personally, this is uh, something that I uh, actually go back and forth on a lot. I feel like it's almost like, uh, you know, a balance, a scale of balances that's happening. Sometimes I know I have to be a little bit more out there and sometimes I kind of just need my uh, uh, my decompression, my my wow. my own sort of balancing of what happens here, uh, and, but I do think the public is a really important. Being public facing is a very important tool, and it has so much potential and it has so much power. But I also, I think you have to be cautious. I think you have to protect yourself as a human, especially in a digital age where everything is out there. I think there is something to uh, something to be said about protecting your peace and protecting your safety, especially in such a polarized political world. If I'm thinking about it from that lens, I think it's important that we are doing that. Um, and then I, I think to our network of leaders in particular, I think to our elected officials, for example, you know, uh, uh, they have to be very courageous and brave in the way that they do work. And it takes, uh, I'm so, I, there's, there's a level of admiration that I have for them um, that I think is their, their experience is pretty unique. To be a celebrity is one thing when you are chasing fame, but when you are trying to do something good for a collective public good, it's another. And some of our elected officials, um, uh, unfortunately, have been on the receiving end. You, we see this in the news all the time. We, they're on receiving ends of scrutiny in, in, in unprecedented ways. People have access to them in unprecedented ways because of technology. Um, and uh, you know, we all value transparency, um, but sometimes that transparency also is leading to like our elected officials having people camp outside of their house or um, you know, uh, following their kids wherever they go to school or whatever it might be. And so I think there has to be a balance. And the best judge of that balance is you as a person and you as an individual mm -hmm. and you creating some of those boundaries. So I don't push anybody to be one way or another. I really do think that they have to listen to themselves, listen to their inner voice on some of these things. Uh, and in ev like every tool, technology has um, uh, it has the good and the bad that comes with it. And the same thing with the gray area, right? There's the good and the bad around that. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find your own balance in that. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly risks and concerns and downsides to being, you know, out there and public. And then at the same time, especially when we want to connect with communities so that they see representation and they see something's possible yeah. or they get inspired. Well, if you're not out there, those folks aren't going to, see you <laughs> they're not going to yeah. be able to um benefit from yeah. that experience and the inspiration that you provide so yeah, i think you know, it is our, a tricky balance yeah you know our, our stories and our experiences and how we walk through life really hold an immense power truly it is it, we have entire universes in each of us and so 
when there is an opportunity to share or something that is a little bit more personal, uh, we do get to forge these connections. We're able to connect uh, in or, or interact in, in, in a possibility in a way that otherwise we wouldn't have, right? Uh, in a ways, uh, it allows you to share that human uh, experience and make that essential human connection that doesn't exist if we don't do that. And I think, um, so you have to have some sense of vulnerability. You have to have yeah. some of that courageousness to be out there and uh, to understand what, um, what putting yourself out there means maybe for somebody else. Because I yeah. think that's a really big piece, whether it's, you know, folks from the LGBT community sharing their coming out stories and what it's meant to them and to meant to other folks or folks who have gone through war and maybe some of the PTSD that exists with that. Uh, or even the pieces of like the challenges we face as, for example, women in certain workspaces, it really is, um, you have to be intentional about sharing that. So when I when I say you have to find what's right for you, I think a part of that formula and a part of that equation is also understanding what you're trying to accomplish along the way. Yeah. I think a lot of leaders are thinking about their own personal brands more than ever before. LinkedIn has become such a powerful platform. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I often say when I'm talking to leaders is, you know, just like if CNN called, you, you got to send a person, you can't send your yeah. logo, right, to represent you. That's kind of how the digital world is becoming, particularly yeah. LinkedIn is, you, you know, you can't just lean on your company page. The, the engagement really happens around people. And so I wondered if you could talk a bit more about social media in particular and how yeah. you see that as a leader and perhaps also examples that you've seen from the, the leaders in your community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, social media is just, it unlocks a whole new world. It unlocks, and uh, 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 not just unlocks a whole new world, it makes the world also feel a lot smaller, which I'm always a really big fan. I think that when you travel the world, when you meet people, it is what kind of fills my cup, right? The, the the inspiration. And I think that comes down to the human connection. And the the beautiful thing about social media is it makes that human connection and that shared experience even more global in that sense. Um, but it's still easy, like in the same way that when you have a conversation and you hear them say a bunch of buzzwords and it goes over your head, that also applies to social media. And so when you're, you know, you're you have a bunch of people who are talking about things that don't seem real, they're not tangible, they're not connectable, uh, it's gonna go over people's head. And so for us, we know that. And so we are as specific as it gets in our social media in sharing stories in, again, bringing these examples of folks who have gone through these experiences. Like I could say to you, it's so important to make sure our democracy is more inclusive. Great, that might, it sounds like a bunch of buzzwords. But what I tell you, like, it's really important that we are looking at our governing body and thinking about, is there a mom at the table? Is there, you know, a, a teacher? Is there uh, someone who has gone through and used maybe some of the safety net programs that exist for us? Uh, and thinking about some of those real elements makes a difference. So you'll see if you go to our social media, you'll see that we uh, often have profiles or have conversations with people who have gone through it and tell us about what it means to them to be in these spaces, uh, who it means that they're bringing along with them for the journey through our programs. Uh, and really we've taught, also taken it into more of a, uh, uh, it's not just like a civic duty and a responsibility, but also a real opportunity for all of us. And if you know anything about new Americans that we're always, we, we see an opportunity, we wanna take it, you know? 
And at first, maybe it starts as an opportunity for a better life, maybe an opportunity to, to, to buy a home or to get a dream job. But the more you think about it and you, the more you start to think at a, a system levels or you think about societal levels, the more that you want to seize these opportunities. And I think we, we're making the opportunity feel closer to them through our social media. Yeah, and I know in your uh, community of uh, new American leaders, you have some really good examples of folks yeah. that are using social media. You have, I think, Arizona State Rep, um, Annalise Ortiz is huge on TikTok yeah. and Instagram to just explain things so that it connects yeah. with regular folks. And I know yeah. that um, in Florida, you have Anna uh, Eskamani and she's doing like weekly live events yeah. on Instagram and, and Facebook. Yep. And so it's really powerful to see those examples of when you say, you know, we want to meet people where they are. It seems yeah. like you could argue that that new Americans are probably even better at doing that in some ways yeah. uh, because of as out of necessity. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, that's there's so many examples. You know, I they um, think about new American electives and just the new American leaders community it mm -hmm. is there is not like this often there's there's of course a professional world and personal world but there's a lot of that gray and what brings us in closer to them is actually the gray as we've mentioned and so you'll have folks like you know city council member uh shahana hanif in in new york phenomenal advocate for new americans for immigrants in particular this is a, a, a an american uh woman who is of bengali background uh when she ran her campaign uh, the Bengali community is not a voting block that people look to, right? But uh, she brought her community along with her. She ran a campaign that included uh, uh, material uh, in her in her uh, family's native tongue. Uh, so they brought people along, and that continued the authentic connection to the people of engaging her community continues until this day. For example, if you look at her social media, you know, on there you'll see that. You know, she's educating folks on what's happening or she's posting videos of commi the committee meetings on immigrant affairs, uh, things that people don't have access to. And then the next day she's like, hey, uh, you know, she's sharing snippets of her engagement and of her wedding and celebrating the cultural norms and the cultural cultural elements that make her so unique, but also that so many others resonate with. You'll see that throughout our our, our um, network. You know, another example is um uh, uh, Nadia Muhammad. Uh, Nadia is uh, in Minnesota, uh, and she just became the first uh, woman, the first uh, black person, the first Somali uh, to be elected uh, a mayor anywhere in the country. But she's the first a uh, black person to elect elected, the first Muslim elected, and she was the youngest serving on the city council prior to that. So she's broken so many of these uh, glass ceilings, political glass ceilings. She's the first in so many ways. You talk to her and you see some of her posts. It's about her being the eldest sister of many siblings, uh, about her experience, uh, about her mom and how much she talked about the importance of education and then taking that and relaying it to education uh, the issues of education or the, uh, um, the another one, for example, that she talks about a lot is how home affordability and home ownership. And she talks about her own experience and how she can't, she can't afford a home in her own city that she's a mayor of, <laughs> you know? Wow. So it's really incredible. Um, and that's all done through social media, uh, through that platform. And that's how she reaches her folks. And that's how a lot of our people are. They're, they're bringing their real life to the forefront of conversations and demonstrating how their experiences 
are forging their political identities, their values, and their policies. Hmm. I love those examples. There's so many of them. Um, speaking of some really fascinating people, I want to just kind of close by asking you about this honor that you received recently. You were named a great American by the Carnegie Corporation of New York, mm -hmm. alongside some other incredible new Americans like Alanis Morissette and Kehu Kwan, Pedro Pascal, Congressman Ted Lieu. And I thought I'd just ask, you know, what, um, what did that mean to you? What did that, what was that experience like? Because I'm sure you could have never imagined it when you were nine years old coming to the United States. I couldn't, honestly. And I, and I, every time I think about it, I smile. You see a smile on my face. And it's not because it's an award or an honor or like a fancy title, any of those things. It, I smile because um, I used to look at that list every year. I used to really look forward to it coming, to being published. And, and, and mostly because I drew so much inspiration from it. It helped expand what I thought uh, the horizons of possibilities were uh, to be an immigrant. You know, I always knew we could do great things and really the sky is the limit, but it was really incredible to see how uh, each individual's interpretation of that. Uh, and so, uh, I, you know, being a college student, uh, and even as a young professional, I literally would be so excited to see that list. And I felt such pride in them as if they were my relatives, as if they were my cousins, as if they were my siblings, uh, because I knew how hard they had to work to get to where they are and how brilliant they had to be in their own ways. And uh, when we got the email that I was going to be included in this year's cohort, last year's cohort, it was totally unexpected. The little girl within me was just like, is this real? This is a real moment, and I hope uh, it continues to inspire others. I'm so humbled by it. Uh, you know, you look to yourself and you're like, "This is a this is a phenomenal group," as it is every single year. And I'm honored to just even have a this much room on that list. And uh, I hope that the work that we do resonates with so many, and that more people will see that and um, realize that first of all, new Americans are not having a moment. It's a whole entire movement. Uh, and we're a big part of what American democracy and society looks like, and we'll continue to be that. You know, immigration is is part of the origin story of America. It is yesterday, it will be, uh, it is today, and it will be tomorrow. It's like, it's there, it's a constant in America. And the sooner we sort of adapt and the sooner that we um, embrace and understand that the beauty that exists in all of that, uh, the better we're all off collectively. Mm, that's so well said. Well, congratulations on that again. And I think Thank it's you. especially fitting and special that you're included on that list because, you know, not only are you a prominent new American yourself and a great American for them to recognize, but you're doing work in that community um, to spotlight, to find, to lift others up and to cultivate. So it's it sort of is really full circle that you were included among that list. Thank you so much. It's really kind of you. Well, Gita, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I think we got some really amazing lessons for leaders, no matter what field they're in, about um, how to influence on you know various stakeholders, but particularly some of the things about reaching folks that might be hard to connect with because they may not see themselves, you know, in the work we do, whether it's inside of our own companies or you know it might be out in the public. And I think you know reducing that that friction. Um, and meeting people where they are and going out to them are a couple things that really resonated with me. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of this and for the wonderful conversation. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time, 